children feel safer when they know what the rules are, when they've been told by the people that love them. Call them rules or call them limits. Good ones, I believe, have this in common. They serve reasonable purposes. They are practical and within a child's capability. They are consistent and they are an expression of loving concern. Fred Rogers. Wonderful. Hello, this is Amy Rudowski, and I'm your host of the SYC School for Young Children podcast. Our philosophy is we believe in the social-emotional development of all children, and we believe that that happens within the context of free, uninterrupted playtime. This podcast is meant to serve as a parent education and as an outreach so we can reach more families. Now, our next episode. Welcome to the SYC School for Young Children podcast. This is your host, Amy Rudowski, and today I have with me Angela Lamont. Angela, would you tell us about yourself? Sure. Um, I've been in the field for quite a while, since the early 80s. I have a bachelor's degree in education, a master's degree in child development. I did a number of different things before um, ultimately I ended at SYC beginning in 1995. And wow. I've been there ever since. <laughs> so we're coming up on 25 years here. And you have your own children as well. I do have three children who all went to SYC, and they're all um, productive grown-ups now. <laughs> so it all turned out wonderfully. <laughs> and a fun side note, Angela was also my child's teacher, Natalie. So When she was three. When she, yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. No, two. Two. Yeah. yeah. In the twos class. Yeah. That's right. Her first year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now she's uh, on her way to being a um, productive high schooler. So (laughs) look at that. Uh, So today's episode we bring to you is called, uh, today's episode that we bring to you, yes, is Discipline and Communicating Values Through Limits. This came um, as part of a parent education series that we hosted in November. And throughout the years, we've had parents ask, you know, could you tape it? Could you record it? You know, we won't be able to make it. And that never really felt quite right to us because it felt, you know, if people have questions and um, they may not want to be recorded and, you know, if they're being in a vulnerable position. But we figured this was a way that we could also spread the message and to get out our ideas was by doing a podcast. So today, Angela and I uh, are going to talk to you about discipline um, and how to communicate those values through limits. So we know that when starting um, with with setting limits and setting um, discipline, that the key is to be consistent. Right. Um, It can be kind of intimidating to think about being um, unyieldingly consistent. It's it's really hard to think about doing the same thing in the same way every time. So what we decided to think about was how can you have um, some sort of clarity in your mind knowing what your values are, how you want to raise your child. And with that as the background, some form of consistency would naturally flow from that. Um, So if you know what you're shooting for, not just today, but for 20 years down the road. The long-term. The long-term plan, because everything you do today is not just for today. It's for um, forever, (laughs) for their adulthood. Um, Everything you do then will start to fit into the puzzle. 
if you have an idea in mind and, and, a, and a kind of a big wish for your kids for how you hope for them to live in the world. And I think it's important, too, just when you're co-parenting is to make sure that you and your mm-hmm. partner start off with talking right. about those big pieces from the beginning to know where you stand, um, to know how that you might approach some mm-hmm. of those big those big uh, challenges with young children. Right. And there are certain things that really do need to be consistent. So for your child to feel um, their most comfortable, um, the schedule, for example, should be consistent. There should be a relatively consistent waking time, relatively consistent meal times, um, consistent bedtime, making sure your child gets enough sleep. So that form of consistency is very important so that your child has a routine and they know uh, pretty much from day to day how things are going to go, it's a little bit easier for them then to uh, start regulating their own behavior if they have the broad outlines of time filled in for them. Sure, and knowing what to expect and what's going to happen next just while Mm -hmm. in the classroom, though we have some flexibility with our schedule, Mm -hmm. there still is that routine rules and routines that we follow you know kids are going to come in put their stuff away wash their Mm -hmm. hands yeah and and so on and I think with that though we one thing that we talk about is um, flexible consistency right yeah so you have to be aware of how your child is at any given time so if they are hungry tired thirsty if um, they've been out of their routine say if you've you know been to visit relatives um, for a weekend or for a holiday Um, and their routine has been um, out of whack, they haven't gotten the same amount of sleep, or things just haven't gone the way they usually do, your kid can be kind of out of sorts. Um, Also, you think about bigger things than that, like maybe there's been a life change, like a a parent has gotten a different job and their work hours have changed, or there's been a new baby or even a new pet, you know, something that might seem like a happy thing is still a change in the routine for your child and has to be adapted to. And so, you know, when when your child does behaviors that you might wish would be a little bit different, you have to take those kinds of things into into consideration. So, you know, you want this underlying consistency, but then you also need some flexibility um, so that you can respond to what happens on any given day. Certainly. And then, so let's talk about situational behaviors too. Mm -hmm. So, um, so learning about those so that you can help children to be more um, adaptable and resilient. Could you give me a couple of examples of what that might be? Sure. So, um, you know, while you want to have this relative consistency, there can be consistency in your house. And the consistency can be different at grandma's house. It can be different at school. So your child has all these different situations that they're placed in, and they can learn what the expectations are in all the different places where they spend time. So different rules at different places. Right, and they can learn to adapt to that, and ultimately that helps them to become more resilient over time. And I would say just as a parent, that's one of those things that can be hard because, you know, oh, if they go over to the grandparents' house, you know they're getting extra cookies, you know they're Mm -hmm. getting ice cream, their routines are messed up, and then... They come home. You got to re retrain them or go through right. that, that schedule. But it's part of part of what part it is. Part of life, you know? you know. And now that I'm on the other end of raising my kids, I look back on it and think, Why did I get so upset about those cookies? Right. You know? <laughs> I mean, in the it, grand scheme of things, just let didn't them have the cookies. It matter that Grandpa brought them cookies. So <laughs> right. Um, but at the moment, for some reason, it felt important, and now it kind of doesn't. So. 
So you talked, um, I know at that night about grounding yourself in love. And there was this Mm -hmm. great uh, quote I was going to read by Mr. Rogers that you, you guys talked about. And it says, love isn't a state of perfect caring. It's an active noun like struggle. To love someone is to strive to accept that person exactly the way he or she is here and now. And to go on caring even through times that may bring us pain. So that also helps me think about that setting limits is a loving thing to do for your children. It absolutely is. It helps them to feel more secure. Um, It's important to differentiate between what sometimes people mistakenly think of as discipline, which is really punishment. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even a timeout can be like a punishment, you know. But discipline comes, the word itself comes from the Latin roots, um, disciplina, which means instruction, and discipulus, which means pupil. So to me, that indicates that we as the parents are the teachers and that we have things to teach our children about how to live in the world. And so our job is to do that teaching, and their job is to learn how to be in the world with everyone else who lives here. Yeah, and as you said, you know, children feel safer, but they also feel safer when they learn about those rules when they're told um, by the people that love and care for them. Right. Um, So let's talk about misbehavior. So the way I would term misbehavior is um, I'd like to kind of reframe that, maybe think Mm -hmm. of a mistaken behavior um, where maybe a mistake is happening. But basically a misbehavior is a behavior that – you wish wouldn't happen. You wish right? would be different than <laughs> right. it is. You right wish now. would be different. Yeah, yeah, and that's hard. That's hard for us to to live with that, you know. <laughs> right. But um, what we have to understand is that it, behavioral learning takes a lot of repetition, and we accept the need for repetition. Say when our kids are learning to walk and they fall down and they get up again, or they're learning to say words and they say it wrong for some length of time before they finally get it right and and we think that's just fine but then we forget that that's also just fine when kids are learning behaviors right um and the things we expect and the things that are expected of them in all the different settings where they live their lives you know whether it's home school uh, a daycare place uh you know relatives home whatever it is so so they have a lot of behaviors that they have to learn, and it's hard for kids to um, generalize uh, how things apply, you know. So if you do things, if they learn to do something a certain way at your house, then they might try to do it that way someplace else. And it takes a lot of repetition for them to learn that, okay, now it's, it's actually different here. In practice. So in practice, you mm-hmm. know, so there might be a way to do something at home that's okay, you know. You know, different families have different rules, and it might be okay to just, say, take your coat off and leave it by the front door at home. Whereas at school, our rule is your coat has to go on its hook. And so then we know that that's going to take some repetition. And, uh, you know, I see your coat on the floor. Let's go over here and put it on your hook now. Mm-hmm. So, and we say it over and over and over again until that becomes part of their automatic behavior. Sure. And, you know, thinking about that help um, reminds me of, you know, I get often get the question, and, and not just saying at school, I, I mean, throughout um, many aspects of my life, if I run into friends with kids and they'll say, my kid won't listen, they won't listen. And, you know, I tell them sometimes it's that they actually can't 
listen. Right. There's so much that is ho- happening and developing and moving in their brain. They are so focused on whatever it is that they are doing at that moment that maybe they actually aren't able to hear yeah, what you're saying. they're not processing it. Right. Yeah. And so it's not always an act of defiance that they're not listening. Right. It's that they just aren't able to. Yeah. And so then you just stick with it. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm teaching you this, so I'm just going to keep teaching it right. until we get it. <laughs> um, and so then thinking about our own emotional uh, reactions in response to that. You know, we've read, uh, many of us have followed some blogs as far as yeah. um, Janet Lansbury about right. remaining unruffled. Right, right. So keeping our own sort of emotional reactions and response, what's your thoughts on some of that about emotional reactions? So there's a book I like a lot. It's by an author named Becky Bailey, and it's called Easy to Love, Difficult to Discipline. Mm -hmm. And she goes a lot into this about how you have to basically be in control of your own emotional responses so that you can look at what your child is doing in a more... um, I don't know if neutral is the right word, but, you know, a less reactive kind of way and just see what's happening and then base your behavior um, in the idea of teaching rather than just reacting to something emotionally with upset or anger or, you know, whatever emotion you might have about what your child is doing um, and try to come at it um, as a teacher would, you know, more that way. And at the same time I'm saying that, I realize that your child doesn't need you as their parent to be their teacher in some ways. Your child wants you to be their parent. They want to know that you feel as strongly about them as they feel about you. Um, So you're never going to be as neutral as a teacher at school would be. Sure. Um, You know, but but to still come at this with in the spirit of learning Mm -hmm. and teaching is, is the way to deal with all of kids' behavior. And I think, too, if you come at it with a lot of anxiety and large emotional oh. reactions, that's just going to right. to make it even bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, just thinking about if, if there was a, a, you know, a child that was hurt or injured or something, and you came at them at, <gasps> you know, oh, all right. panicked, you know, then they're going to not feel as safe. And they're, right. they need to know that, hey, you got this. No matter how big this mm-hmm. is, mom or dad or teachers – uh, grandparents, they've got this. They yeah. can help us handle this. Um, and then you talked about uh, what the what is the relationship that you hope to have with your child. So wh- what do you mean by that as far as your emotional reaction? Yeah, so uh, you need to think about, again, how you're reacting to your child and not just what the implications of that are f- for that given moment, but for the long term. So, you know, when I've talked to people who, for example, have said, well, you know, my parents spanked me and I turned out okay. Um, And the question is always, do you really have the relationship with your parents as an adult now that that you wish you had with them? And is the relationship you have with your parents happening the way you hope you're relating with your child when they're adults? you know, I think that certain ways of, um, you know, reacting to kids, of, of giving out punishments for mistaken behaviors can create an underlying distance mm-hmm. in the relationship. And, um, you know, I, I saw something that I really liked once, and it was just one of those Internet things that pops up. But it said when, you're, when your child's a teenager, 
you don't want them to think mom and dad are going to kill me. You want them to think I need to call mom or dad. That's totally, you I'm, know, I'm with you right and there currently the re- in that moment. Yeah. And that's the relationship you want to try to build. That doesn't mean that you let every behavior they do go. It doesn't mean that they never cry because you're setting a limit and they're not happy about it. But you do it in a way that's loving and teaching and and when everything flows from that, the relation you, you've protected the relationship for sure. the long term. And and what I really think is that connection is the key. You've got to make that connection mm-hmm. with your child. That's the long term is having that connection. So when you think about um, you know, I'll I'll explain to uh, to people, you know, your home base, right? Yeah. So you want to be the safe spot where you they, they will come to you when they're older mm-hmm. and all that. But they know that you're the home base because you also are keeping them safe by setting those limits and guidelines on them. And they know that, yep, they've got this. Yep. But I think there's got to be that connection, too, in order for that to be a mutual, positive interaction. Right. Right. Um, So I think also when we're talking about um, discipline and our values on, on... those interactions with kids, it's important to take into account the children's development Absolutely. as far as uh, their temperament and personality. And we know that there are a couple different styles of temperament, you know, ones where I, I will, you know, it's called low key, flexible and adaptable, uh, where children tend to be happy. They have regular eating and sleeping habits. They tend to be pretty adaptable and calm in new situations. And then there is the spirited, inflexible, feisty. Uh, children might be fussy, uh, highly active. They might have irregular feeding or eating habits when they're younger, fearful in new situations, and may have intense reactions. Uh, for this child, transitions can be very difficult. And then you have the slow to warm or cautious, where children are less active. They may uh, withdraw or be reluctant in a new situation, but over time become more positive. Um, so I, I look at that when, when kind of thinking about behavior is thinking mm-hmm. about what those temperaments are. And then we, you know that as a parent or a caregiver, we also have to look at our own temperament and Absolutely. how does that fit? How does it match? Yeah. And one of the hard things I found for myself as a parent is you know, there are aspects of, of my temperament, my personality that, um, you know, this, this is how you are. This is how I am. But I wish they w- could be different. Sure. And then I see some of those things in my kids. And, you know, it's kind of an oh, no. Right. <laughs> they have to go through this now, too. Sure. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and you have to have the understanding that this temperament is how they came you know so it won't change it's not changing and my little apples did not fall far (laughs) from my tree you know so knowing that then there are are ways you can work with your kids within their temperament so if you know that one of your kids is always going to be slow to warm up you've Mm got to give them plenty of notice about what's going to happen you you know you take them to some place where they've never been and they may you know hang by you for quite a while so you have to allow time for that Mm -hmm. that it's not ever going to be a situation where you're just going to take them and drop them off at a birthday party of a a kid in their class that they don't really play with a lot say right you know you have to know that you know they may go you may have to stay 
Um, they may not stay for the whole time, you know, if they're not really warming up to the crowd that's there. And you just have to know that and know that, you know, that reaction can be tempered over time when as they get older and have more um, language, more cognitive skills, um, you know, more ability to deal with that. But, you know, they might still always prefer to be in a quieter and sure. more familiar place. Sure. And that, yeah, as you're saying, you know, certainly there's, there's some traits that might be different, but their temperament and who they are is going to be who it's, they are. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it, if we have a different fit of that with our children, mm-hmm. it's our job as the parents to organize the environment to make it fit. Yes. It's not mm-hmm. the child's job. It's right. our job because we're the adults and we have the experience mm-hmm. and know how to adjust and transition more so. Right. Um, and, and children are more likely to reach those potentials when they have that goodness of fit. So when we can adjust um, adjust and make those that organized environment um, more appropriate for their mm-hmm. temperament, then they can um, more easily yeah. reach that potential. Yeah, and sometimes I see that the challenge is kind of the opposite of what I just described, that there's a parent who's more reticent, more, you know, maybe a little more anxious, and they've got this, you know, free-spirited kid who's ready to go. Talking to everybody in the line right. at the grocery store. And it's hard as that parent to let that kid do what comes naturally to them sure. if it's not coming naturally to you. Right, it is. <laughs> totally. I myself am, am a little more slow to warm up. And I remember, you know, when my kids would be in preschool and we would be in the line at the grocery store and they're telling them everything. And right. I was like, don't tell your address. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, that's, um, I think that's just important to keep in mind as your child's temperament and how you might respond to that temperament when you're thinking about these, um, challenging behaviors that you might come into. Um, and the child's age is important to take into account. I mean, their age and, and their skill levels, the, uh, prior experiences they've had in their life all feeds into what they're able to do. Um, you know, you have to think about, you know, what is your child's ability to um, really think about things and, and to, you know, it takes a while to develop the ability to think about what you're thinking and feeling. Mm-hmm. And young children don't really have that ability. Sure. So to ref- kind of that inner reflection. And so it takes a while for them to develop that. It takes a while for them to develop the language skills to express what's going on. And so you have to be aware that the younger the kid is, the um, less verbal (laughs) their responses are going to be more action-based. And in a way, then the less uh, words you're going to be using to help your child learn. And and you will be doing things that are more action-based, like helping them come with you, you know, perhaps even, you know, moving them along physically, carrying them or, or whatever it takes to help them come with you if you're trying to get them to do something. So if we're talking about, you know, in your co-parenting relationship or just even um, in the classroom, we, we talked about the division of labor yeah. and who gets to decide what. So talk to me about your thoughts on that. Okay. Yeah. That's something I think about a lot. And and I feel like I've said it a lot at school, but then when I talked about it at this most recent parent ed I did in the fall, someone said, wow, I never heard that before. <laughs> I was like, wow, I, I feel like I say it all the time. Sure. So, so what I think about, and, and if I'm doing it at school, I actually draw it on a piece of paper 
but when a child is born, um, they're in charge of just a few things. So, you know, basically when they get hungry, when they eat, when they poop, mm-hmm. <laughs> when, uh, when they sleep. When they sleep, yep. You know, that's kind of what they're in charge of. And every other thing, every other decision that's to be made is in the grown-ups pile. So parents have this enormous pile of things that they decide about. Baby has just a few things that they decide about. So as that baby's growing and becomes a toddler and a young child and they start to have some language, a third pile develops, and that I think of as the negotiable pile. Okay. Okay. So as kids age, things come out of the parent pile to the kid pile but within the parameters that the parents set. So your child may be choosing what clothes they wear to school, but not out of their whole closet. They're choosing from the two pairs of pants and the two tops you put on the bed, and they get to pick out of that pile. So you you have maintained some control, so there's seasonal appropriateness to Mm -hmm. (laughs) their options, but they still have the ability to make a choice. Sure, and you're still Mm -hmm. guiding them in the sense that you're not making the choice overwhelming for them, that they wouldn't be able to make a choice. Right, because, you know, who can look at a whole closet full of clothes? I mean, I have problems with that, too. You know, it's like, I'll pull the same black pair of pants out of my closet every day because I just can't even think about the rest. Right. So I just imagine what that's like for a three-year-old. It's mm-hmm. just would be overwhelming. So you're structuring things. Um, you don't want to pull things out of the parent pile too soon and let your child decide. So say, you know, now that the weather is a little cooler and your child might say I, they don't want to wear a coat. Well, that's not necessarily an option. You know, with my own kids, I would say if the temperature is cold enough that it can hurt your skin, mm-hmm. this is what you have to wear. Um, you can put all these things under it. And, hey, if you want to wear your shorts, you can wear your shorts on top of your pants. Sure. So you can still see them. But we're going, you know, if it's 20 degrees outside, you're going out of the house fully dressed. Yeah. That's so one that's of those things I've always said is safety is non-negotiable. Right. And, and Absolutely. You know, know, and with my kids, I I would even use the language, you know, this is um, a parent choice. This is mom or dad choice. And this is a kid choice. And, you know, maybe this is a choice we can talk about, you know, so. um, So one of the things that I admittedly will say that I struggle with as a parent Mm -hmm. is there are some times when, yes, it's it's a parent decision. But like, here's an example. I don't want to go to school today. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes you're like, all right, let me have a day off. I need a day mm-hmm. off sometimes of school. So yeah. how, how do you kind of rationalize that or, or reconcile that where sometimes you let it go and sometimes you say, no, this is a firm. Yeah. Limit. I mean, and that's it. I mean, it's, you're still in charge of that. If it's a school day, it's your decision. And so there may be some negotiation there where they say, you know, I just really feel like I can't do this today for whatever reason. Um, you're still the ultimate decider of it mm-hmm. and and they are not yet you sure. know and, and it's too much power it's too much power and you don't it once you give your power away as the parent it's really hard to call that back um you know ultimately you will end up with you know your child at say age 18 going off to college or to whatever is next in their life and almost everything is going to be in their pile and your pile might still have some money and some car keys and (laughs) insurance and yeah a couple (laughs) other things that you're in charge of um 
you know, and your your child, you ultimately you've transferred the power um, because our job is to make ourselves obsolete as parents, you know, so we spend all these years teaching them how to handle all these different things in their lives. And as they learn it then, and they're ready for it, you transfer the decision-making power to them. And ultimately then they have to make good choices and you have to trust that you've taught them well enough to sure. do that. And so. they're probably not going to make the right decision no. every time. No, because <laughs> their brains are still developing. The frontal part of their brain is developing up until age 25 or 26. Right. So there are going to be bad decisions all along the way. And yet what you want always is to be that safe place for them to land if they have made a mistake. You know, whether it is you know, the mistake of throwing a block across the room when they're three or, you know, racking up your car <laughs> when right. they're 19. You know? <laughs> so, so I know we'll get into s some about like more about expressing our values, but there mm -hmm. was just a couple of things I wanted to talk about first um, with, with talking about discipline and, and what to do. So, you know, there can be two sort of extreme uh, approaches here. So there's the fear and shame where you talked about the punishment where right. you, you give a punishment where a child is um, might seem an innately bad um, and where mm -hmm. respect is demanded. Mm -hmm. um, and that but not given. But not given, mm -hmm. correct. Yeah. Um, children will then learn to obey out of fear. Right. They might see themselves as bad. Right. Um, and then, uh, let's see, reticent to engage in conflict. So that might keep the child happy, um, but it might be that you worry that the child's spirit will be broken. Yeah, kids are going to cry yep. at some point, and, you know, they will live through it. And if they don't learn to live through those kinds of upsets, say if they've had their whatever desire it is thwarted because sure. you've set a limit on it, um, you know, if they don't learn how to live through that when they're three or six or, you know, whatever age, how are they going to handle disappointments later in their lives? You know, we can't be there to make everything okay. I think the current term is snowplow parenting. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, if you don't want to be that person that is constantly clearing the road for your child to make everything okay for them, then you've got to let them learn to live through frustrations and disappointments at the level that's appropriate for them all along the way. Sure. So that then they can live through adult level disappointments someday. Right. Because disappointment is a part of life. It's part of life. It, it always is. So one of the visuals that has always helped me, and I know we've talked about it before in some of our um, parent education nights, but is, is thinking about providing the guardrails. Yeah. So if there's a bridge and it has no rails, um, you'll drive across it very slowly and tentatively. Yep. Um, but if you see that there's railings on either side, you can drive over the bridge with yeah. easy confidence. Yeah. Um, children are going to seek railing railings to feel secure. Mm -hmm. um, they'll continue to seek them over and over until they are sure that the railings will always be there. Right. And it's our job to do that. And it's their job to try to bounce off of them. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But by us providing those consistent, reasonable limits children will always feel free to learn and grow knowing that we'll keep them safe. Mm -hmm. So that on that, you know, first ex extreme approach that I was discussing, the narrow guardrails, um, oh, sorry, the fear and shame, that would be where there's narrow guardrails. So it's never mm -hmm. flexible. Um, the children are constantly going to be bumping up right. against them. Yeah. And where it's not okay to make a mistake, 
you know, and, and kids are punished for making mistakes and, you know, and a mistake is a mistake. And sure. Like, All right. This didn't work out. We're going to try this again. <laughs> so with the other, you know, um, reticent of engaging in conflict, that's where you're going to have unpredictable and too widely spaced guardrails. Mm-hmm. So again, kids aren't going to know where they are. So they're going to keep trying to bump and find them so they right. know where they are. Yeah. So setting these d- developmentally appropriate guardrails that are consistent, mm-hmm. firm, yet with some flexibility. Right, right. And, you know, s- what I've seen over time, you know, since I've been working with kids for a long time, is that oftentimes people who tend not to set limits and will let their child go and go and go will finally clamp down with a very harsh limit or a punishment when the child has gone so far that the parent is angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's better to have appropriate size guardrails. Sure. Um, you know, so that you are not having this big emotional response to what they're doing. So it's it's not necessarily about your comfort level because, you know, for those of us who are, you know, possibly a little bit worried parents, you know, we might, eh, maybe we're not going to climb to the top of that tree or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we're not going to do something that could be a little bit risky you you want your child to take appropriate risks and so if if that's a worry for you that's something for you to get past that's part of your own work um, to develop yourself as an adult and a parent Um, but you you want to still be um, providing the appropriate limits so that you're not letting it go so far that you get upset and, and I think they need to be modeled um, with confident and gentle leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, we've had this conversation before that, you know, kids are looking for someone to be a leader. And I've had parents say to me that I sound like the dog whisperer. <laughs> but in the absence of your leadership, your child will step in mm-hmm. and try to be the leader. And while they may enjoy that power, it's also stressful for them. Right. Um, because if you're, if they're busy trying to be the boss, they're not really doing what they're supposed to do as a child. Right. <laughs> um, and they will resist having that power taken away. And so in a way that's, it, 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 well, it's much worse to try to reel that back in once you find out that you've given too much power away because your child will protest mightily. Right. When you try to reassert your leadership. And so then you've got, you know, many times more crying (laughs) to get through (laughs) than if you had set the limit appropriately in the first place. Yeah. They need to know that they're respected and that they have some choices, Mm -hmm. but they also need to know that you are the one that's in charge. Yeah. You're making those decisions. So I thought we could talk um, about some practical strategies Um, As far as if Mm -hmm. there's a mistaken behavior, you know, number one is going to be role modeling. And we even talk at school about um, role modeling, making a mistake. Yeah. Right. Because some of these mistaken behaviors are just that. Just mistakes. mistakes. I'll spill my glass of water and say, oh, what do I do now? And my co-teacher will say, go get paper towels and clean it up. And that's what we do. And that's all there is to something like that. Even if, you know, somebody is being a little bit goofy at the table. Sure. They weren't trying to spill their drink or whatever Mm -hmm. it was, you know. Um, You know, so showing them and, you know, little things like one of the rules in our classroom is that kids have to sit at the table to eat. So I will often make a big show of getting some of the snack that they're having 
and I sit down at the table with them and eat it so right. that they see that I'm sitting to eat. Oh, this too. is what we do when we eat. Yes. Right. So, so that, you know, w- as the adult, I'm not walking around the room putting something in my mouth when I'm telling them that they can't do that. Right. So, yeah, narrating the problem-solving process as you're going through it. Mm-hmm. With, right. Um, and then setting limits. This, this yeah. is the very important. And sending, um, you know, the I messages or, or giving of information that, you know, you'll hear us in the classrooms many times saying, this is what I know. Yeah. So it's, it's giving information without judgment mm-hmm. uh, on that. Um, or using, you know, when and then statements. That's what I might say. For example, if I say, you know, when you pick up the toys, then we can have story time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're giving them information and letting them know that something's going to be different when something happens. We've talked about um, offering choices to let kids have some power. That's yeah. appropriate. Choices within the parameters that we set. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I talk, when I think about this as as a last resort method, when I'm talking about a physical removal of a situation, mm-hmm. so I would say back when my kids were younger, the thing to do for discipline was all about timeouts. Sure, which was an improvement over spanking. I have to right, say, yeah. you know, that was kind of the next step in the evolution. Sure, but it's still a punishment, and right. you know, so I know somebody who would give her daughter a timeout. Um, and I don't, I don't even remember what the behavior was, but her daughter was doing this behavior. She would get a timeout. Mm-hmm. And so then the next step in the process was the daughter would do the behavior and put herself in the chair. And this mom was really pleased with that. It's like now she knows if she does this, she has to go sit in the chair. And I said, but she still doesn't know what to do instead. Right. And that's the teaching part, you know, and that's what timeout misses. Sure. Is that you know, you need to learn what to do instead of that the next time so that we don't keep doing this and doing this and doing this repetitively. You know, I mean, they are going to repeat the mistake, but every time, you know, timeout is not a teaching tool. It's just, okay, go sit. That sounds like a get off the hook situation. Just like, I'm sorry. Uh, Let me do this. I'll go put myself in timeout. I'm doing this anyway. And now I'm going to go sit in that chair. And, you know, I, I think people have the idea that their child is sitting in the chair feeling remorseful. Or and that's absolutely not thinking about what not they happening. did wrong. I guarantee a three-year-old totally is not, not thinking for three minutes about <laughs> no. what they did. What they're thinking about is they're mad, yeah. they're ticked. Yep, and this is what I'm going to do when I get <laughs> right. out of this chair. <laughs> so the one type of timeout that I consider to be an appropriate uh, thing would be I, we all sometimes need time and space, mm-hmm. right? So meaning like if, if I have a bad day um, – and I just want to be like alone in my room, I would mm-hmm. consider that a timeout. I just mm-hmm. need time and space to mm-hmm. collect myself. Yeah. And so I look at that in the classroom too. If I see a kid that's having a big feelings, they might need a tent. They might yeah. need time mm-hmm. and space to have their yeah. feelings without a time limit. Right. So I look at that as a different kind of timeout, not as a punishment, but as a tool. Right, yeah. And, you know, I might tell a kid that they need time away from something if they're in – um, in an activity and doing something that's not okay, say they're on the climber and, and pushing other kids. Sure. And it's too hard for them to be up there, and it's too hard for them to remember not to push other kids. It's like, I've seen you do this a couple of times. We've talked about it, and now you need some time away from this place. Yeah. And it, it's not a timeout in the sense that I'm plunking them in a chair. Mm-hmm. It's just time away from this one thing that you're having a hard time with. And we can try and again. you can... You will try again the next time, you know, but for now, there's lots of other things you can do that you can probably manage. 
So other strategies are, you know, setting up the environment that encourages success. Absolutely. So um, in one of our favorite books that we have um, at the school, it's called um, Becoming the Parent You Want to Be. And it talks there about lousy local conditions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you if your toddler is hangry. (laughs) <laughs> they've had they they want a snack or it's nap time and you're at the grocery store and they start throwing a big fit maybe that wasn't the best time to go grocery shopping right you know so you look at those um lousy local conditions so could you have how can you do recreate this the next time yeah. so you know maybe going after nap time or mm-hmm. finding a different time maybe hey we've got click lists now yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> so th- there's other approaches so it's kind of just looking at those um the conditions that that aren't yeah. great, but we also will say sometimes you just got to do things you don't want to yeah, do. Yeah, you just have to power. You got to power through yeah. it. But when you can, taking a look at those those yeah. um, conditions, um, preventing behaviors before they occur, so you can sort of look at the environment or be more proactive um, about an environment. So you're going mm-hmm. to a friend's house. Um, they're going to have a play date with somebody and they might have some prized toys. So predicting that environment where you could say, you know, to that other child, if they have toys they don't want to share or they're worried about, um, putting them up in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when my kids had play dates, we routinely went through the house Mm -hmm. and my question was, you know, what is in here that's too special for you to share today? And we're going to put it away and it's not coming out until your friend leaves. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's, it solves a lot of problems um, before they happen. Um, setting up space in a way that um, I kind of think of it as uh, making speed bumps mm-hmm. in a space. You know, if you've got like wide open space where kids are going to run and wrestle, if that's okay with you, that's fine. But if that's not okay with you in that space, then you maybe need to rearrange furniture or put things there uh, as sort of speed bumps to slow kids down sure in your space you know? yeah so thinking about the environment Think, and adjusting mm-hmm. it as needed yeah for sure absolutely um and then you know we have consequences so we can look at natural or logical consequences mm-hmm. so um our natural consequences you don't wear a coat outside you get cold You're that's cold. you know mm-hmm. um our logical consequences which we've been talking about you know if you spill the water you get a paper towel and you wipe it up yeah I think that the consequence needs to match, though, what, yeah. what you're doing. Well, and I wouldn't even, th- I, I have to say I don't even think of cleaning up your mess as a okay. logical consequence. Okay. Because it's not something I'm imposing. It's just, if you make a mess, you clean oh, it up. Oh, this is what we do. Sure. This is how life is. And mm-hmm. you. this is what children need to learn. That, you know, if you've spilled something, you clean it up. If you put all your toys in the middle of the living room floor, at the end of the day, we clean them up and put them away. So, you know, this is just part of life and it's not, um, you know, because I think sometimes when people hear the word consequence, they think it's like a punishment that they have to think up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you have to think it up, it's probably not going to be appropriate. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's a good perspective. You know, so, um, yeah, if you have to put too much thought into it. So I think the thought comes beforehand where you're, you know, kind of clear in your own mind about, how you you want things to go and how you're going to guide your child and ultimately what you want the outcome to be for your child. Which brings us back to values. Yeah. What your values, what your values that are important to you. Yeah. You know, how do you want your child to treat themselves and other people or animals or the environment and, you know, the uh, objects around them? How do you want your child to live in the world? 
and um, you know what kind of a person do you hope they would be and it's not you know that you have a picture in your mind of you know my child's I want my child to grow up and be a, a doctor sure. you know it's just you know maybe if what you want is for your child to be a generous person or, or you wish they would be um, warm with other people there are ways you raise your child to do that by treating them in just the ways we've been talking about um, and, and it will turn out that way right in the end. right so. so Angela did you have any other thoughts as we've been sitting here talking that anything else that you wanted to add about this topic Wow, there's so much, um, but there's one thing that I talked about at our uh, parent ed in the fall um, when we talked about all of these um, things about discipline and limit setting and consistency and all of that. And when we, when I thought about consistency, I thought also that there is this aspect of improvisation to what we need to do as the adults. And years ago. Um, there was a mom at our preschool who was an actress, and she came and did a workshop for the teachers about improvisation. And she said we were actually really doing it and just didn't know it. Yeah. And so this improv game that she had us do is called Yes And. I remember that. I remember okay, that, yeah. remember that? Uh -huh. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and so the way the game goes is that somebody says something to start it, and the next person in line says yes, and, and then you add to it. And basically, that's what we need to do with kids, that, you know, your kid does something, and instead of that voice in your head going, oh, no, not again, and I wish you wouldn't do this, the voice in your head goes, yes, and this is what we deal with now. This is what we do next. So that little pause for the yes is what gives you space to react to your child in a way that's really um, loving and appropriate. The voice in your head that says things like, she knows better than this, and you know he's done this so many times and I can't stand it anymore. That's the voice in your head that leads you to anger and misery. <laughs> right, but, you're, but I like that because you're immediately changing that from a negative into a positive. Right, you know, and, and it's not that you're necessarily saying yes to every behavior, you're just saying yes, this is the behavior we have now, and this is what we're gonna do about it. Yeah, here's the action plan. Right, mm-hmm. And so, and it, it you know, it, it sounds like that can take a long time, but it's, it's the work within yourself to help yourself um, change that negative voice over to this. And, and once you've done some of that work and you've practiced it, it starts to happen more automatically. Yeah. Um, and and I, sometimes I think when parents see what we do with their kids at school, that that's how we're reacting because we don't have that parent voice in their head in our heads right, about right. their kids sure you know <laughs> we're just kind of okay now we have this now yeah. we have this puddle on the floor and this is what we're going to do about it and now we have somebody pushing someone on the slide and this is what we're going to do about it and so it, it the more you think that way it becomes more automatic and more easy <laughs> Yeah, I think that's that's a great way to look at that and, and super helpful for me to, to, to think about that as a teacher. And, you know, as I've said, I'm parenting teenagers right, right. now. And yes, you yes, know, we this have is what's this. happening. All right, <laughs> let's do this now. Well, thank you so much, Angela, yeah, for, thanks, for coming together and, and talking about this. I know we could probably go on for another hour to talk about discipline and that. But I think we'll end it this one today. 
Yeah, for now. For and now. maybe talk again another day. That's right. But I would like to leave you guys with this quote. Um, you know, Fred Rogers. You know, I'm, I'm always going to be the Fred Rogers quoting one. Um, but it has it relates to this topic here. And it says, children feel safer when they know what the rules are, when they've been told by the people that love them. Call them rules or call them limits. Good ones, I believe, have this in common. They serve reasonable purposes. They are practical and within a child's capability. They are consistent and they are an expression of loving concern. Fred Rogers. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. This is Amy Rudowski, and I'm your host of the SYC School for Young Children podcast. I'm the co-director of the School of Young Children. We are located in Clintonville at 93 West Weisheimer Road. For information about how to contact us, you can check our website at www.sycolumbus.org.